Hello and welcome to Making the Rounds, a podcast by the American Medical Association. Today's episode is part of our Health IT series from the AMA MSS Committee on Health Information Technology. My name is Matthew Swanson, and I'm a medical student at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine, and I'll be your host for today. Today, we're joined by Dr. Anne-Marie Navarre, an Associate Professor of Cardiology at UT Southwestern Medical Center. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Navarre. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Great. Just to get things started, uh, I wanted to ask you, how are you involved in the health IT space, and what are you currently working on? So my most of my job is spent doing research. I'm an epidemiologist by training. And since my early days in research, I've been using EHR data to conduct clinical research, largely in the observational space, sort of thinking about, you know, what's the, uh, how are patients being treated? How well are therapies working? Are we, um, you know, missing certain groups of people? But we've also done work trying to quantify the gaps in EHR data and sort of understand where the limitations are. So, for example, certain things like how you can identify different conditions in the EHR and which codes you use and how that impacts what your research findings are. The final thing that I've done in the last two years is actually as a uh, strategic advisor to the EHR company Cerner. Cerner is one of the biggest EHR companies in the world. And several years ago, we started a partnership with them trying to figure out how we can guide them to better develop their EHR into not just a system that can document uh, clinical information, but that can really power research. So through that, we've done a couple of things. One is that we launched a large uh, real-world data set that has EHR data from over 50 health systems that um, can be used for observational research. And we've also created a network of health systems that are using the EHR to enable research called the Learning Health Network. And within that, we're doing things like large randomized trials and even prospective quality improvement studies to try to test how you can actually use the EHR and the different features in the EHR to drive improvements in quality of care. Yeah, thank you for that uh, just initial introduction to to what you're working on and kind of some of these uh, big projects that are going to be able to get accomplished by your work. Uh, just to help the audience, could you crystallize what you think the impact of your work is for us? And then also, because this is tailored towards medical students, could you tell us about any of the challenges that you've experienced in pursuit of you know these goals? Well, absolutely. There's certainly challenges overall in using the EHR for research. I think, you know, some of these I already talked about, like figuring out the best way to identify certain clinical characteristics or, you know, what do you do about missing data? Locally, we often face challenges in just getting the data that we need. So, I think many people who have tried to access EHR data at their own institution have run into challenges and, you know, long wait times for your local team to pull the data or challenges with governance and, you know, prioritization. Most health systems teams that are working on the EHR are largely tasked with enabling the clinical mission and secondarily making sure that we're billing appropriately. 
And it's only um, after those priorities are taken care of that we can you know, start to do research. So, you know, figuring out how to work with your local team to, you know, make your requests as simple and as streamlined as possible has been really important. And I've been lucky at both Duke and now UT Southwestern to have some really great research support that allows us to do the work that we're doing. Yeah, I can imagine that even though you have all of this data at your fingertips, if you can't access it easily, then really what's the what's the point? Um, to shift gears a little bit, I wanted to ask, how has COVID impacted your work? Well, I think there's probably two levels for that. The first is we actually did some research on COVID itself. So using that data set I talked about from, um, from the EHR, uh, we worked with Cerner data to answer a number of questions around COVID from how's the best way to identify it in the EHR to questions like um, whether or not there are disparities in outcomes by race or ethnicity in patients hospitalized with COVID-19. So on one hand, COVID has provided really an important opportunity to use EHR data to answer important clinical research questions. Of course, on a personal level, I think everybody will resonate with um, you know, the challenges of COVID in terms of you know, being locked down in our offices or working from home, trying to prioritize um, the clinical responsibilities that change during COVID with ongoing research and maintaining collaborations in a virtual world has been hard. I'm pretty lucky though. I think that as an epidemiologist, largely my research is done on a computer. And so I didn't actually experience a bunch of interruptions like many of my colleagues did in terms of the actual conduct of research due to COVID. Yeah. Um, I think that it's one of the most attractive aspects towards research in this area. So you can do it from anywhere. And I think that, you know, uh, medical students that aren't doing research in this area now should really strongly consider it because just of that level of flexibility and also the amount of, you know, questions you can really ask from so much data, uh, like from this database that you've been working on as well. You've done some work on medical misinformation, particularly a 2019 paper by you fear-based medical misinformation and disease prevention from vaccines to statins. What do you think is the best way physicians and medical students can combat this misinformation? Well, this is a challenge that we face um, on a bunch of levels. You know, clinically, a lot of our patients, if not all of our patients, have some degree of misinformation that's driving their uh, beliefs about things. In my world, it's often uh, beliefs about risks of statins and misinformation around cholesterol. And I spend a lot of my time debunking those myths in clinic. We've published on this as well. There's actual techniques that you can use to debunk misinformation when you're talking to patients about it. My favorite resource is a free online guide called the Debunking Handbook, which I would encourage everybody to look at for best practices on how to manage this clinically. It's also something that we've done research on, quantifying uh, the degree of misinformation that we're seeing in clinical practice. Uh, for example, in looking at you know, large surveys of beliefs about statins and heart disease and cholesterol, 
And I think these data are really important to guide advocacy efforts to combat how disinformation is being spread in places like the internet. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, really interesting. Thanks for sharing it as well. To continue to shift gears a little bit, you know, as a future physician, how do you see the future of health IT in 10 to 15 years when, when I'm practicing? Oh, I think I would be naive to think that I, I know all of the future. Um, but I have some wishes, I guess I would put in the in my future bucket. The first is better interoperability. It's really hard um, for even medical records to be combined and harmonized across different health systems. And it's really a Tower of Babel. We all use ICD-10, but we use it differently. Some health systems use problem lists, some just use billing codes. Some people use one set of diagnoses, others use others. So I think we're gonna see a movement towards broader standardization and sort of coding and billing practices, as well as how we use the EHR. I also think that there's a really good movement towards increasing patient ownership of their medical records and their patient's ability to um, you know, understand what conditions they have and be able to access their records from across multiple different health systems and providers in one single place. I'm really excited about health IT, not just being used to measure and document, but to actually drive improvements in clinical practice. You know, there's huge gaps in what the guidelines recommend and what we actually are delivering to our patients. And you know, a lot of this can be automated, both in terms of decision support pathways for providers. But what I'm excited about is tools that will help nudge patients so that patients can come to their doctor and say, hey, why haven't I had a flu shot yet? Why am I not on a statin? It looks like I'm overdue for my mammogram. So I think using IT to empower patients to stay on top of their health care, as well as using health IT to drive uh, better delivery of, of practice to the patients through, you know, better reminders or just automated systems that sort of take some of the decision making for some of these automatic things out of the provider's hands altogether. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. Now, there's been a lot of changes in health IT posed by COVID. Uh, what do you think is going to, to stick around? Well, the easy answer to that one is uh, telemedicine. You know, we went from having telemedicine be sort of a niche thing that was happening in certain clinics and people who felt more tech savvy to something that almost every physician I know has now had to develop some experience and familiarity with. And I think patients too, um, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for the value of an interpersonal visit. But it's also inconvenient. Some of my patients have to drive long distances to get to my clinic. 
And being able to offer the ability to consult via telemedicine is um, a nice way to help increase access to care. I also worked this last year with the Heart Association to develop a program called Doctors with Heart, where we're using a telemedicine-based platform to use volunteer cardiologists from the Heart Association to provide free cardiology consults to uh, federally qualified health centers and uh, clinics that treat the uninsured and underinsured. So I think we can use some of this technology to try to um, improve access to care in areas that, that we don't see. You know, COVID's also shown us um, some really important lessons in terms of the conduct of research. The speed of clinical trial uh, uh, enrollment and recruitment has been unmatched during the pandemic. We've never seen uh, clinical trials being conducted so rapidly and so efficiently. And we also see really the value in real world data like EHR data to drive research. And I think that's leading to more and more investment to try to increase the, the utility of these types of data sources, not just for observational research, but uh, to actually power pragmatic clinical trials, vaccine studies, um, and the like. Yeah, it's definitely an exciting time to, you know, see how quickly these studies are coming together, how uh, efficient telemedicine has been in, in increasing access to care. And then also just... Um, I guess what the future may may hold for for health. As a medical student right now, it, it's it's difficult just to even uh, appreciate what the the healthcare space could look like um, uh, pretty soon. Like when we're when we're practicing, maybe five years, ten years, whatever it may be. To bring things back to EHR data, uh, you had you had said that um, improving the ability to get access to local data is one way that you can you know, make, make, make this data better and also more actionable. Do you have any other suggestions for how to improve coding with EHR data or improve um, how, to, how to really use this data to, to what it's, um, to how, how best we can answer questions with it? Sure. So the, the first thing I would say is that anybody doing research with EHR data or other real-world data, things like claims data, um, really need to be cognizant of the potential limitations and actually build in an analysis of those limitations into their data set. Because the more that we understand you know, the pluses and minuses of the data we're working with, the stronger our findings are going to be. And we also can identify areas that we need to do better. So that would be the first. The second is um, you know, more research in kind of understanding what ways we can better um, uh, generate insights out of the EHR. So some people are using things like natural language processing to take things out of PDF reports or free text areas and make them accessible to research. I'm really excited about that. Computer vision is another um, sort of uh, ML-based way that people are sort of pulling things out of, of notes and clinical documentation and making it more easily accessible to researchers. There's also you know, other ways that technology can augment how we're in, 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 um, implementing or, or how we're documenting things in the EHR. So you know, suggestions to providers, hey, it looks like this patient on insulin with an A1C of seven has diabetes, you know, do they? 
Um, you know, there's ways that we can both help the physician workflow to improve documentation practices, but also kind of automate some of that. You know, should I really be having to click on every single one of my patient visits if they have coronary disease? Or can our EHR system get a little bit smarter and see that my patient with multiple PCIs and cabbage in a cardiology clinic is being treated with coronary disease and maybe spare me some time? So I'm, I'm hopeful that the future um, not only means that the EHR data get better, but that the EHR system in general is easier for clinicians to use so that we can spend more of our time you know, talking to patients and making decisions about healthcare and less time dealing with some of the challenges like documentation. I think that everyone that's listening today um, be really nice or really happy to see an EHR system that requires a little bit less um, uh, focus on documentation, a little bit more focus on efficiency. To wrap things up, I wanted to ask, do you have any channels where people can connect with you and follow your work? Yes. So um, I'm on Twitter at Anne Marie Navarre, A-N-N-M-A-R-I-E-N-A-V-A-R. I'm not always the best at tweeting my own uh, research. I'm working on that. I always find it a little bit awkward. Um, but I have a couple of um, uh, colleagues that will often tag me in things that I publish. I also follow a couple of really great accounts. One of my favorites is a, a researcher in Canada named Tim Caulfield, who does a lot of work around misinformation. And a lot of my other followers and people who I will retweet are doing a lot of research in the health IT world. So that's probably where I would start. And then, you know, for the medical student audience out there, I think it can be really overwhelming to try to keep up with all of the journals and um, publications that are that are coming out left and right. But I find following those accounts on Twitter is a really nice way to quickly scroll through all the headlines of you know, what's getting published, and then you can see what's interesting to you or not. So picking out the major journals in your field of interest and following their Twitter accounts is a really nice way to stay on top of the literature. And then find people who you think are doing interesting research, follow them and see who they're following, because it's a really, um, it's, a, it's a nice community of dissemination that we've really put together. That's some fantastic advice. And after this episode, I'm gonna get on Twitter and do just that. Well, everyone, that's all for today. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking your time today, Dr. Navarre, to, to talk with us. This has been Making the Rounds, a podcast by the American Medical Association. You can subscribe to Making the Rounds and other great AMA podcasts wherever you listen to yours, or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.